The following sermon was delivered by Pastor Frank Griffith in the Sunday morning service at Calvary Community Church in Brentwood, California. You'll find more information at calvarytruth.org. I want to invite you to turn to Ephesians, the book of Ephesians. I can still remember when I first started preaching, this was the scariest book in the whole Bible to, to preach because it's so lofty. This is the most amazing a word of praise and hallelujah towards the living God. I want to read to you chapter 1 of Ephesians, if you'll turn there. And notice what it says about the living God. In fact, about the triune living God and what he has done for us. Paul begins this way. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us. Those are two scary words. He chose us and he predestined us. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved, that is, in Christ. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Every way that you've ever let God down, that's what trespass means. Every time I have let him down and failed to do what I promised I would do to him. And he says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him. That is what God the Father has purposed in the Son, the blessing that he wants to give us through the Son. It's an amazing blessing. He says in verse 10, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of times, that is the summing up of all things, that is everything in the universe, everything in the, in the creation, things in the heavens, things on earth, in him also we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. The counsel of his will, let me just explain this little phrase. It means the decisions that God makes out of his desires. He has desires, and from those desires, he chooses to do certain things that are inexplicable in any other way. To the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him by the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge to our inheritance, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. For this reason, I too, having heard of the the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you, while making mention of you in my prayers that in the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that your eyes, the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might. I don't know if you caught what he just said, but he says that he wants you to receive these things. He wants you to come to have a knowledge of these things, the blessing that he has poured out on your life through Christ. Verse 20, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, 
far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet. That is, the Father put everything under subjection of the Son's feet and gave him as head over all things for the benefit of the church. Everything that Jesus Christ has rule over, it is for the benefit of the church of Jesus Christ. Which he says, which is, that is the church, is his body, the fullness of him who fulfills all things. Now, I want you to turn back to chapter one. I decided I'm going to cut that short rather than read five chapters to you. I'm just going to read one. But if you'll look back at verse chapter one, what you see here is a pattern. There's a pattern in the book of, of uh, Ephesians, and it starts with what's called a word of blessing, a barakah in Hebrew. It means to express and express out of your heart a proclamation of blessing towards a person that God has used in your life. And here it's God himself is giving a word of blessing concerning his own son. Isn't that surprising that the father is proud of his son, that the father is blessed by his own son and what his son has done for him, that he actually has purchased a people for God to enjoy. And maybe you're wondering, well, how could he possibly enjoy us? I don't know, but he does. He says it over and over and over again that it's a great blessing to him that he has saved every one of you that he has saved and brought you into the family of God. This brings great joy to God. This book is amazing because it talks about one of the most difficult doctrines in the Bible, and that is the doctrine of election. I remember going back to a school I'd gone to before, and we got, Judy and I got married later, and I'd gotten into a, I'd gotten into some teaching, the grace of God, the doctrine of God's grace, and what it meant to be chosen by God, and to, that God has actually laid out a plan to conform us into the image of Christ. A lot of people don't believe that. They think, well, you don't have to, to get too serious about this. You can receive Christ by faith and have your sins forgiven, and then you can live however you want to. That is totally misunderstanding the gospel of the New Testament. What God has done, he has saved us in order to change us to make us a, a people that have fellowship with the living God and find the greatest pleasure of all things in living in fellowship with the God who created us for fellowship. And in this book, it talks about the fact that God chose you before the foundation of the world. Now, that's a long time ago. No matter how, how old you think the, the world is, that's a long time ago, isn't it? Before the foundation of the world. Remember what it says in Genesis 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth? And the earth was out form, without form and void. It was empty and it had no form to it. And then it goes on to talk about how God forms the earth specifically for his creation. And now we're told that before that happened, before God ever did create anything, he chose you to be a recipient of his grace. Now that's stunning. I can remember going back to this school and asking this theology professor I had. I said, hey, What's your take on this verse in Ephesians when it says we were chosen in him before the foundation of the world to become holy and blameless before him? In love, he predestined us unto adoption as sons according for the praise of his glory, the glory of his grace. What do you make of that? He says, well, it's real simple. You just have to understand it. It means that God votes for you, the devil votes against you, and you hold the deciding vote. That's called balderdash. That is baloney. That's not what it means. What it means is that God himself set his love upon you in eternity past. 
and he decided he was going to send his son into the world to die for your sins, and he was going to send the spirit into the world to open your eyes to the glory of Christ and the glory of this salvation he offers us freely. That's what election's all about. It's okay to be troubled by it. It doesn't mean you have to figure everything out about it that explains all your questions. A lot of your questions may be kind of dumb, right? I found that about myself. I had a lot of questions that were just dumb. I didn't realize how glorious this was, that God set his love on me before this world began. And he, and he carried out that desire and that plan of his by bringing the gospel to me. And the Holy Spirit opened my eyes, and I began to see the glory of the gospel. You remember that? That's from, that's from 2 Corinthians 6.4. The God who said that light shine out of darkness is the one who caused the light of the glory of, his, of God in the face of Christ to shine into our hearts. How did you ever become a believer? Well, God did something. He, he sent his spirit to open your eyes to the glory of the gospel in Christ Jesus. And you believed. And he brought you into his family. That's what happened. And now for, for now, for all eternity, we are going to spend our lives, and they are lives. We're going to spend our lives in the presence of the living God. And we're going to find out that what he gave to us, what we received from him, was so much glor- more glorious than we ever imagined. So that's what this book is about. It's to the praise of the glory of his grace. Uh, this idea of giving uh, praise towards someone, thanksgiving, that you extol what God has done through them is a good thing. I've had, haven't you had a lot of people in your life that God has used in a wonderful way? They were just like, uh, it was, they were like an agent that came from heaven into your life, and God used them to open your eyes and to open your heart to the glory of who he is. And that's what Paul is doing here. He is just extolling God. This is what God has done. And it's amazing. It's almost embarrassing because it's so over the top. God has done this, and he cares this much about us. Why? Why does he care so much about us? Why has he given so much for us? And why does he have such big plans for us to bless us, pour out his, our, his grace in our lives? I have a friend I went and saw here a few weeks ago. I hadn't seen him in several years. And uh, I called him up, actually, and I was asking him for some help about our building project, uh, help in the sense of what should we do now, what could we do in this case? And um, he started telling me, I asked him how his son was, and he starts telling me how blessed his son was, how well he's done in business. He's, he's become very wealthy. But then he said, you know, I'm embarrassed by this, but he is so good to me that I hate to even tell you all the things he does for me. It's just amazing to me that he's, he is such a good and fruitful son. He had just sent him a brand new golf cart, you know, the one you ride on. Only this was a very expensive one. This costs as much as your car. And he said, I just couldn't get over how good and what a blessing he is to my life. I am so grateful that he loves me. Not for the stuff. I don't need the stuff. I am so blessed by the fact that he loves me the way he does and the way he shows it to me. He's always looking for an opportunity to bless my life. Well, what Paul is talking about is how God is always willing to bless our lives. He has blessed us with spiritual blessings. In fact, notice this. In, it begins in verse 3, this blessing that he gives to us. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. Just as, and he starts telling you specifically how he has blessed our lives. 
just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. Now, that's an amazing truth, that I could be holy and blameless. Do you know what that means? Do you know what it means to be blameless? That doesn't mean they haven't caught me yet. It means I have got nothing in my life that I can be blamed for, that God has given me a clean record. He has given me the record of his own son, and I stand righteous before him. That's the blessing that he has given to me. And so he says, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself. We have several families in the church who have adopted children, and it doesn't take you any time at all to discover they love those children like their own. They chose them because they wanted to love them. They wanted to pour their lives into them. That's an amazing thing. And here it says that God adopted us. But this adoption is different. It isn't quite like we do in our human situation. Adoption here means he placed us as a son in his very presence so that we could experience what it would be like to be an adult son of of God and to experience his rich, rich blessings in our lives. He lavished us in all wisdom and insight. He made known to us the mystery of his will. That means that that his will, what he has revealed to us in Scripture about his will, is mind-boggling. And he calls it a mystery of his will. It's a mystery to us because I've never heard of such a thing. How could God possibly do this? And why would he do it? And he says, it was all according to his kind intention, which he purposed in his son, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of times, that is the summing up of all things in Christ. Everything in the universe, everything has any meaning at all, God says it's going to be headed up by Jesus Christ. We've talked a little bit about the fact that the Bible talks about Christianity being a kingdom. It isn't just a church, it's a kingdom. And most of us don't know what a kingdom is because what we see in the world that's called, that are called kingdoms aren't really kingdoms. Every kingdom has a king ruling over it and reigning over it. When, uh, when you're, if, if somebody says the other day, I heard him say, you know, nobody worries about what the, what the king of England thinks. They don't care what she wants in their personal lives. They don't care if she wants them to buy a red jaguar. What they're concerned about is that she fulfill her responsibility to represent the royalty, but not to rule at all. That isn't Christianity. You see, we have a king. The king that we have is an absolute sovereign over our lives. He rules over our lives. Now you say, well, that doesn't sound very good. That's kind of intimidating, and I don't quite like that. Well, you would if you knew who he was. If you, if, if you live under the rule of Jesus Christ, you live in the most perfect situation and setting there is. And it's what we're going to live in for all eternity. You know what the Bible calls that? It calls it peace. Shalom. It means when things are the way they're supposed to be. When was it last? When were things last the way they're supposed to be in your life? Think about that for a second. The way things are supposed to be. Aren't we always worried that things are about to go bad? You know, somebody's going to get, steal our identity. Somebody's going to get in our bank account. Somebody's going to get a hold of our credit card. We're in real danger. Maybe we're going to have a huge flood or a fire. And what we are told in the word of God, that we live under the rule of the sovereign king of the universe. And we live under him with this understanding and knowing that no matter what happens in our lives, Dewey was just talking to me a while ago. He was talking about how his 
blood is getting worse. You know, he's got this disease and they still haven't been able to heal him of it. And so he's expecting to die. And he's not sad. Isn't that weird? Please don't try to talk, to him, talk him out of it. He is just so convinced that God is in control and that God knows what he's doing and that he is just enjoying the trip, enjoying the fact that there's a God in heaven who is his father and who loves him above all things. And, he's, and he's, he's perfectly content to rest in the arms of Jesus Christ. Oh, pray for him. He probably, you know, if he found out we prayed for him and then God spared his life and he kept living, he'd probably say, why don't you guys stop it? I'm ready to go to heaven and be with Jesus. But we want him to stay here for a long time. Well, what, 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 what Paul is doing here is he is telling us how much, why he loves God so much. What has God done for him? What has he done for us? Why is he so full of praise towards God? He says in verse 7, In him we have redemption through his blood. Let me explain what that means. The word blood, the reason you may have heard all these people talking about these Christians are always singing about blood and talking about blood. What's that all about? Let me tell you what it's all about. It's all about the fact that it's a picture of Christ dealing with sin and alienation. God has dealt with our sin because he has sent his son into the world to shed his blood, which is speaking about the shedding of blood. It was always death under the judgment of God. That's why they slit the throats of the sacrifices in the Old Testament. It was to be a picture of the ultimate lamb of God who was going to stand in our place and pay the full penalty for our sins so we can be free so that we can be under the rule of a God who has brought us into this perfect standing before us. And there's no accusation. One of the th- my wife's not in here, so let me tell you something. One of, the, one of the things I really love about my wife is that she actually isn't trying to fix me. It's the most amazing thing. She's not trying to take care of all my weaknesses and difficulties. She just loves me and blesses my life. And she's not superwoman or anything. It's just that God got a hold of her heart. He gave her a good man. God gave her a perfect man. And and so she is just, she settles down and enjoys the process. That God is at work. And I treasure her relationship. I treasure the fact that when she tells me something, I can trust that she is coming from a heart that loves me. Even if it says, you know, you really should stop doing that. But, but you see, what God has done for us, he has blessed our lives in such a way that we can't even get the words out. Like Paul is giving this barakah, this, this, this expression of blessing to God. He wants God to be, know that he considers him to be the most blessed God who has given him eternal life in the person of his own son. Then he starts talking. You see what he said, he has said here, is he has said, I chose you, the Father chose us, to be recipients of his grace. And then the son redeemed us by shedding his blood, by paying the penalty for our sins. And then it says, and the spirit has been given to us to seal us into Christ. So that you, God cannot see you apart from Christ. Did you know that? When he looks at you, he sees Christ. You're clothed in Christ. If maybe you're wondering, what is God? why is God, maybe you've been walking with Christ for a while, You've been living under the authority of God, and you wonder, 
Why does he let me get by with so many things? Why doesn't he crush me? Why doesn't he just cast me off the surface of the earth? Why does he keep forgiving me? Why does he love me? Because of Christ. You've been sealed in Christ by the Holy Spirit. That means that you've been so identified with Jesus Christ that when God looks at you, he always sees the merit of his own son. Now, that's, a, that's the best deal you've ever heard of. That God would join you to a person, a perfect person, the, the eternal son of God who became the incarnate son of God and who took your place and suffered for your sins and gave you perfection in standing and status before God. And so he says, so the spirit, down in verse 13, I mean, let me, and listen, listen to this, in him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. See, that's, this is why the Bible is very clear about the fact that all true believers are going to persevere to the end. They're going to continue to follow Christ. They're going to continue to believe God and trust God and live for him. It's because we have been sealed in Christ. And the sealing of the Spirit emphasizes two things. It emphasizes the ownership. Who owns you? God. And it also, it also emphasizes safe delivery. You know how it is when you put a, how much are stamps now? Don't even know, do you? I don't either. But whatever they cost, when you put a stamp on a letter, it's the, it is the authority of the United States of America to make sure that that letter is delivered. And I know you have plenty of confidence in the United States of America. They certainly de- deliver their mail, right? Well, here he says that the Spirit has sealed us so that now we have this, we have this guarantee of safe delivery. I can still remember early on in my Christian life, I was always wondering if I would fall, if I would abandon God, if I would leave him, and if I would run away from him and not continue in a life of fellowship with the living God. Then I found out what God did was he sealed me with the Spirit so that I would persevere until the very end. In fact, he says in chapter, uh, in chapter 4, verse 30, he says that he wants you to watch your mouth because it grieves the Holy Spirit when you use your mouth as a weapon against a fellow believer. If you've done that this past week, I would, I would say confess your sin before you get home because it grieves the Holy Spirit. And then he tells you why it grieves the Spirit, because he's the one who has sealed you unto the day of redemption. You see, the Holy Spirit is the personal guarantee that you are going to reach the end of this journey, which is coming into the presence of the living God and received by him because of your identity with Christ. He sealed us. He's made us secure. We have absolute security. And so he goes on, verse 15, For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in, the, in my prayers. A safe delivery. I love this truth because I grew up in a, a movement that thought you could lose your salvation at the drop of a hat. You get saved. I remember a lady telling me, you know, you have to get these young people to pray to, to ride the altar into heaven because they've got to keep confessing their sins and asking, begging God for forgiveness because they're just hanging on by a breath. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says he saved you for time and eternity. It says that he saved you because it doesn't have to do with you. It's not you who saved you. It's God. 
And that's what he's going to say in chapter 2. It's, it's, you were, by grace through faith you were saved, not of yourselves. You didn't do it. God did it. And God has planned to save you for eternity. So Dewey and I are going to sit down in about a million years, and he's going to tell me the whole story of how God gave him this confidence in him that he could just rest in God's decision as he went through these days. Because we're going to live forever with each other. I know some of you are thinking, wow, that would be horrible. Um, no, actually, it's going to be wonderful because we're all going to be changed. I'm going to be a much better person. And so are you, because you're going to be like Christ. We're going to be conformed to the image of Christ. And so Paul is giving these words of exaltation to God. God, the salvation you have given us is so amazing. We have been saved by grace through faith. We have been saved by a Savior who is willing to come into this world and stand in our place and pay the penalty for our sins and then to give us the Holy Spirit. In fact, let me, let me show you something. Look back at John 7, if you would, so you can do a little uh, Bible hunting. Uh, John chapter 7, verse 37 and 8. And this is what it says. This is during Jesus' life on earth. It says, Now on the last day, the great day of the feast... This is a feast of tabernacles. It's a feast in which they celebrated the fact that God brought them through the wilderness journey safely and to their destination. And they would celebrate it every year. So he says, now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood up and cried out. Now you have to understand what they did in the Feast of Tabernacles. They celebrated this way. They celebrated the fact that God had brought them through the wilderness journey and gave them all the water they needed. And you say, what's the big deal? Well, their journey was through the desert, and there was no running water. And they had all, all they had to do, all they could do was to trust God to provide for them, because there was, there was no water system, and they were traveling out in the desert. And so what they did at, the, at, the, at this feast, the priests would go to the Pool of Siloam. Now, let me tell you what the Pool of Siloam is. The Pool of Siloam was the Pool of the Sent One. Guess who that is? That's the Messiah. That's Jesus. He was sent by the Father into this world. And the pool of the sin one, they would go there because it always had water because God supplied it. And they would take these golden pitchers, the priests would, and they would scoop up the water, and then they would, they would make a march to the temple, and they would pour out the water beside the altar. And what they were doing was giving God thanks for providing for their most basic need. They needed water. And so he says this, he says, if anyone is thirsty, he is saying this, it says he's yelling this, he cries out, and he says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Now, I don't, it doesn't take a genius to figure out what Jesus is saying here. Even I can figure it out. Jesus is saying to them, if you need spiritual water, if you are dry and thirsty and without a relationship with God, Come to me and drink. And then he says this, He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. This isn't the only place in the Bible that talks about water and quenching the thirst as being a picture of salvation. God has given us spiritual water so that we could drink. And so he says, if you believe in me. Now, if you believed in him, you would go and say, I want some of this water. And he said, if you believe, the one who's believing me out of his innermost being, the deepest part of yourself will flow rivers of living water. 
What I like about that, it's not just talking about you quenching your thirst. It's talking about you being satisfied with this water and it's going to flow out of you into the lives of other people. In other words, if you receive the blessing of Jesus in your life, you're going to find out it's going to begin to flow out of the lives of other people because he saves us to use us as a vessel in his hands to meet the needs of others. That's why he gave you a spiritual gift, which just means an ability to dispense the grace of God into people's lives. It's one of the most wonderful things in the world to be around Christians. I was with, we were with some believers the other day. We drove up to Reno to check on a friend of ours who just went through surgery. And we're sitting there just talking with each other and Mitch and Pat. And uh, I thought, wow, what a wonderful blessing this is to be with brothers and sisters in Christ and experience the blessings of this water, this eternal life that flows out of our lives and the lives of one another. He's blessed us so that we can do that. We can love each other. We, it's the best place in all the world to be is in the midst of a, a, a church where people actually know Christ and they receive his word and they believe what he has said and they begin to pour their lives in the lives of other people. That's what he's called us to do. Every single believer has been gifted and has been equipped so that God could use them as an instrument in his hands to bless the life of other people. And so when Paul's giving this uh, back in, in, uh, in, in Ephesians, when he's giving this blessing, he is talking about all these things that God does. He's continually blessing us in a rich, rich way. And we'll never be able to thank him enough for what he is doing to us. Over in chapter 4 of, of this book, he, t- he tells these same people, he says, you need to stop seeking, meeting your needs in ways that don't work. And so he says, stop getting drunk with wine, because that's just dissipation. You know, when you get depressed and down and you want some kind of help, and so you turn to something to, to stir you up, and he says, no, don't waste your time. That's just dissipation. Be filled with the Spirit. Allow the Holy Spirit to fill your heart and your soul with joy. You know, your soul, the Bible says that God created us as living souls, and what that meant was we have the capacity to enjoy life. That's huge, you know that? That you have the capacity to enjoy life? Have you ever met somebody who doesn't enjoy life? You ever been around somebody who has no enjoyment of life at all? That's a depressing thing, isn't it? But what God does for us when he saves us, he gives us the capacity. He did it in creation. He gave us the capacity to enjoy life. That's what your soul is. Soul is that capacity to enjoy life, to feel life, and be glad you're alive. That's a blessing from God. He tells us that what we ought to do is when we have people among us that are small-souled, that is, they don't have much capacity for joy. I've never done this, but I've thought this before. We'd take a survey and ask a person, how many times have you experienced joy this past month? Because there's a lot of people who have very little joy. And God wants to fill our hearts with joy when we discover who he is. This is why Paul is so overwhelmed with all of this. This is what God has been for us. He has been our Savior and our Lord and our God. He created us for himself. He actually created us so that we could enjoy life in fellowship with him. Isn't it great to be around people that bring joy to you? I'm sure you've experienced some of that during this Christmas season. You're with people that you love and you care about. And just being with them, just being a part of the conversation, just being a part of the interaction, you're actually enjoying it. 
what that is, that is the consequence of God's design for man. And when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, this is how Peter puts it. He says, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. You can't even contain it. You can't explain it. It's the most amazing thing to receive the joy of having a relationship with the living Christ. And so that's what Paul is talking about here. So he says to us, uh, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies, according as, that is in this way, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world to become what? Holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to be adopted sons, that we would be right there with Jesus Christ for all eternity, being blessed by who he is. So this is a, this is a song that is to lift your spirit towards Christ, to get your eyes on Christ. Because if you have everything in the world, but you don't have Christ, you don't have anything. That's what the Bible says. You could have everything in the world. If you didn't have Christ, you'd have nothing. If you remember the man that Jesus met, and he was very wealthy, and he says to Jesus, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And he says, well, what does the law say? And so he quotes to him, and Jesus said, you say, well, you need one more thing. You need to go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor and come and follow me. That would give you joy. Now, you've got to understand, it doesn't mean that poverty is joy. It means that following Christ is joy. You don't, need, you don't need a bunch of stuff to follow Jesus. And that's what his disciples said to him. Well, these, these rich people, it's hard to ever get them to come into the kingdom of God, isn't it? And Jesus gave this man the answer. Get rid of everything you have. Give it to the poor and come follow me. Now, you can imagine what it would have been like for this man who had all this wealth and he was unhappy if he could have just got rid of everything that kept him from Christ and he, and he became a companion of Jesus Christ. He began to follow him. And Jesus said, you'll have joy inexpressible and full of glory. That's what we desire. It's been a wonderful Christmas season, hasn't it? You probably got every gift you ever wanted. <laughs> but is it wonderful to be with God's people? To be in the midst of the family of God? Knowing that I'm right with God, not because I've done something spectacular, but because I simply believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, and I was saved. I remember when my son got saved. It was on a Sunday afternoon. We were playing basketball, and, and I remember talking to him about the gospel as we went towards the school. We were going to go play with some guys, and I could see he was, uh, he was distant. He was looking off in the, into the distant like he was thinking about what I was saying about his need for Christ. And before that day was over, he entered the kingdom of God. That still gives me chills. It's amazing what God does and how he is able to save us out of darkness and distance and bring us into the family of God. So what I want for you is for you to be doing the same thing as Paul is doing here this season, that you would be expressing a word of thanksgiving and praise towards the living God who has blessed you so richly. You are blessed. And, and the reason you're blessed is because there's a God in heaven who loves us and cares about us and pours his grace into our lives. So let me pray for you. Our Father, we bow our hearts. We are so grateful uh, for these words from Paul in the book of Ephesians. They're mind-blowing to think that you would love us this much, 
that you would actually set your affection upon us, your love on us in eternity past, and say, I'm going to bring that person to myself, and they're going to fulfill their very purpose for existence. They're, come, they're going to come to know what it's like to have a relationship with their own creator and be empowered by the Holy Spirit and be blessed by the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that this week would be a day of great, great rejoicing, not because it's Christmas time, but because we're in the kingdom of God and we have a relationship with you that can never be severed, can never be broken. And we are so grateful, Father, for it. So we pray that you would bless our lives. I pray for those who are trying to decide whether they really believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, that they would come to rest completely upon Christ, the one who can save and keep and bless. I pray, Father, you'd work in every one of our lives. Give us an opportunity, even today, to share Christ with somebody. Please use us as as ambassadors of Christ in these days, Father. We ask that you would bless, that you would uh, demonstrate your mighty power and your glorious, glorious love for us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. To respond to this message or learn more, please visit calvarytruth.org.